You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Dangerous Prayers. In this series, we see how God invites us to grow in Christ-likeness and step into His mission as we learn to pray, search us, break us, unite us, and send us. Now hear the word of the Lord. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell this to the people. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields are ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the tearbent and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. My name's Travis, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I've been a little bit under the weather because I think it's winter. Like, is it winter now? I think it was spring, and there was like a monsoon season over the course of a couple of weeks. And so, uh, anyway, my voice is, it's holding up. Um, I, I generally summarize my sermon into one point, so as long as I get to the main point, if my voice goes out, then we'll just call Justin up here, we'll do communion, we'll just go home. So, uh, so I'm, Justin said, I only got one more. I said, yep, I'm tired and I don't care. So it's, it's hard to know what's going to happen, just to, to forewarn you. So. <laughs> um, I'm tired and I don't care. Thus, uh, I am uh, expressing outwardly, publicly, probably foolishly, my uh, inherent weaknesses, So, which my weaknesses are demonstrated by my voice and also my parenting skills. Um, so I have, uh, I have three children. So my wife and I are outnumbered. <laughs> we have uh, a daughter and two sons. Uh, my s- oldest son wanted to go on a hike with me because um, generally I'd step away and, you know, go walk a trail and get some time to myself. And uh, he wanted to come along. And so I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, why wouldn't I want to do that? I, envisioned this was going to be a, a wonderful experience that was going to result in him, you know, confirming the reality, which is, I am his hero, I am the greatest man he has ever known, and all these other things. And so, um, I don't know why you're laughing. I mean, that was, I mean, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, so, took him on um, a hike. We just went up the road to Charlestown State Park. We, if you care, I went to Trail 6, because that's the one I like. And, uh, and I thought, he would like it as well. He was going to, you know, it's just a loop, but at the kind of the, the center point of the loop, there's a nice waterfall. So, and I thought to myself, ah, you know, it's going to be a little tough at the beginning. We're going to kind of go up a hill, go up, but then we're going to walk along this ridge and he'll be fine. Right? It's going to be fine. I mean, that's always the goal of everything is for it to turn out to be fine. Well, just so that you know, it wasn't fine. Okay. We, we got, we started to go up the hill and he, he started crying, he started calling for his mother, he started asking how long this was going to last, 
Um, then he got scared because we were really high up, and then it just continued to go bad. And I did, I did what I could. I tried to make it into this story, this of how brave he was for going through the wilderness. wasn't really helping either. So then I did what any respectable person would do, and I was just like, "Look, if you can get through this, we'll go get an ice cream sundae after we're done." Like, <laughs> which probably bothers the theological nitpicks because they're like, oh, "You bribed your child." And just to be clear, a bribe is whenever you provide a financial transaction before the outcome, not. And what I was doing was what would be called a peace offering, which is, I offended him, and I'm trying to make it better. Okay. Now, once he got the sundae. Whether I said to him, okay, here's your Sunday, right? We're getting ready to see your mom and you're not going to tell her what took place. I cannot confirm or deny if that took place. So, uh, which, uh, which I remember when I was, after the experience, I was taking him to get an ice cream Sunday. Um, the, it was at McDonald's and <laughs> you can get like a caramel or a chocolate Sunday. And I just said, I need to make it better, right? I just said, hey, just give them to him both. Like, put both of them in there. Like, I really messed this up. And they were like, looking at me, they were like, you want both? I'm like, I mean, it's for, the, it's for the kid, man. Like, I'll spend the extra 39 cents to make this better, you know what I mean? Like, call me risky or whatever, but, uh, <laughs> which I did that another time. This is totally, this is free. We're not charging extra. I did that another time where it's like I ordered both of them, like for the children, of course, because that's how I do everything. And the guy looked at me and he said, sir, you are blowing my mind. And, <laughs> and I said, well, you're welcome. You know, I didn't, didn't know what to say to him. Anyway, see, I'm tired and I don't care. That had nothing to do with anything. So anyway, there's a picture of the first experience. We'll put it up here. You see my son there. He, he looks like he just witnessed somebody get sick. You know, he's... he's and I mean, this is after, you know what I mean? I, I tried to make it better. Seen the waterfall, ice cream sundae, promised to him, nothing. So that was the first experience. Go home, <laughs> which I, I was thinking, I, I thought about myself whenever I was going to tell a story. I'm like, the theological nitpicks are going to be upset with me, but the, you know, there's a possibility the therapists are going to be upset with me because they're like, he had this emotional experience and then you offer him food. What are you trying to do? And it's like, I mean... That's just kind of life. Like, you know what I mean? You go to a wedding, you know, it's very emotional, then you eat. You know, you go to a funeral, it's very emotional, then you eat. You know, like it's just, there's just a connection between strong emotions and food. So anyway, I don't know why I care, but uh, I just felt the need to explain that. So, uh, so like then I kind of retool, think about what took place. Because we had this experience, had this encounter. So we have this encounter with Trail 6 at Charlestown State Park. I kind of looked at, at it, like the outcome wasn't what I wanted. Like I, you know, apart from me being ridiculous about saying I want him to be a he, my hero or me to be his hero, which I do want, but but you know, apart from that, like I, I wanted it to go better than what it did. You know, the outcome wasn't necessarily what I wanted. And so, you know, we had this experience. It kind of caused me to take stock. It's like, yeah, you know, if I had to do it again, what would I do different? It's like, well, you know, I, I kind of overestimated what he was able to pull off at the time. Truthfully, you know, he's and. I overestimated what he could do. You know, he said he was hungry, probably legitimately was. Didn't pack him any snacks, you know. I, I chose what it is that we were going to do. He didn't have any say-so over it. But, you know, there's times where you just have to pick things. I was like, well, if I had to do it again, you know, maybe we'll do it different. Which, 
You know, that was a few years ago. We, we hadn't gone hiking <laughs> any time since because he was kind of like, eh, you know, I think I like the idea of hiking with you, but it's just the reality of it that breaks down, you know, and that was the sort of thing. And so up until like two weeks ago, and so this time we, we went back. We went to the same place we went before, we went to Charlestown State Park. But we went, we went to an easier trail, and we packed, you know, we brought along a couple of snacks for him. I went to an easier trail. Hey, buddy, what kind of, what kind of experience do you want to have in this? Well, he, you know, he wanted to see this, and he wanted to see that. Okay, well, maybe we can pull off some of that. And then, because now to go hiking and to have an ice cream sundae is a thing, he was like, hey, when we get done, can we go back and get an ice cream? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, this time, hopefully not because I've offended you, but just because it's part of the package, you know. And so, uh, and so then we've got a picture. And this is the second experience. So that's me on the right in the red, in case you didn't, <laughs> just to be clear. And that's my son. Got his hair cut. So anyway, we, we look like it went better at least. <laughs> and I think it did. So, well, what took place there? Well, here what we have is we have, we have this, we started in a place and we had an, we had an encounter, so to speak. And then we come back out and, and the outcome, wasn't, the outcome wasn't necessarily what I planned for initially. But that initial outcome, that first hike, wasn't the end of the story. Actually, it was the part of, a, part of another story. It's the story of the relationship between myself and my son over the course of time. And so then we have another opportunity, and then we have another experience, and then we have another encounter, and then we come back, and then... Actually, you all are, get included in to the experience, into the story as I retell it and you share in it. And there's something about life that works that way. We, we encounter the world. And some of the way God has designed things is for, for us to encounter the world and for, for those encounters to force us to take stock over ourselves at one level. And so there, that's what, that's what took place. I mean, I initially in, encountered this experience and what I was forced to do is to take stock over myself and how I handled the situation. And the outcome wasn't necessarily what I designed. I wanted the, design, I wanted the outcome to look a different way. And when I got in the middle of it, it, it went sideways and it didn't go the way I wanted it to go. But the reality is, is that wasn't the end all be all of our entire experience together. And that's the way life works at times is you, you go forward and you, you are sent by God into the world and sometimes you encounter the world in such a way and sometimes it works out like you've, you've planned and you've designed and sometimes it doesn't. But the reality is, is the immediate outcome isn't the end of the story. And you see that throughout uh, the lives that we live, but also in the scriptures. In the passage that we have today, so as we go through this series on dangerous prayers. The passage that we have today is Isaiah 6. And in Isaiah 6, you have the, the call and the commission of Isaiah, where God speaks to him. He has a personal encounter with God. And he willingly offers himself to God. And God says, I'm going to send you to be a messenger of judgment to my people for my purposes. And so it is with all those things in mind that that today, my main point, so the only thing I really need to get through today is this. God writes his story with people who pray, send us. God writes his story with people who pray, send us. There are three reasons. There are three reasons why God writes his story with people who pray, send, send us. First, 
Because they've had an encounter with God. They have had an encounter with God. Second, because they are ready to be used by God. And then third, because they entrust God with the outcome. First, because they've had an encounter with God. Isaiah 6 is like one of the most dramatic and majestic passages in all the Bible. Um, I, it's one of the preaching chapters is what I call it. And, and I did everything I could to resist it um, because preachers just love to preach Isaiah 6. I mean, I haven't been a Christian that long and I think I've preached Isaiah 6 like, I mean, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. And it's one of those that every time a preacher comes to it, they're just like, yeah, that's what I'm preaching. Because it's so big, it's so dramatic, it's so majestic. And the reason is, is because Isaiah sees a vision of God. Like after a king dies, he sees a vision of the Lord. The Lord appears to him. And, and what you would expect, like if I heard that someone said, I've seen a vision of God, my first question is, is what does he look like? What is he like? And in Isaiah 6, it says, it says the train of his robe filled the temple, which is essentially a, a way of saying, well, the, the hem on his robe was like really big, you know, which isn't a great deal of detail if you didn't already notice. But it actually indicates something about God. It indicates that whenever he has an encounter with him, he's so overwhelmed that he can't put, he can't put anything into words. He's grasping for straws. He's trying to say something, but he can't say something, and so he is overwhelmed by this experience and he sees God and he sees these angels and they're crying out to one another and they're saying that God is holy and they're saying the whole earth is filled with his glory which means that 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 he is so weighty and he is so worth so much that the entire earth can't can't fill um, the entire earth is filled with his beauty and his worth and his majesty and so he sees God and then he takes into account his life. You may remember from a few weeks ago, Pastor Jonah says there's this, there's this deep Christian tradition, which is as we grow in the knowledge of God, we grow in the knowledge of ourselves. And as we grow in the knowledge of ourselves, we grow in the knowledge of God. And there's this, there's this circular movement. He was saying, you know, he was re referencing the French pastor, John Calvin, on that. But that man didn't make that up. I mean, he got it from, from other people. He got it from Augustine and from others. And they got it from, partly from Isaiah, because this is what happens. Look here with me in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then, so he acknowledges what's taken place. And then look here at what it says in verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim, that's one of the angels, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So there he sees God for who he is. And then he comes to recognize something about himself. What does he recognize? He says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amidst the people of unclean lips. What difference does that make? Well, this is Isaiah's version of what our Lord Jesus teaches and we'll get to it eventually in Matthew 15. Our Lord Jesus makes this statement about, the, about our words. He says, out of the mouth the heart speaks. So that's one of those connections is that your, your mouth is directly connected to what's inside of you. 
And Isaiah comes to see that. He comes to realize that. And he says, there's something so fundamentally broken about me that you can hear it when I speak. And so he acknowledges that. He acknowledges that his words have separated him from God. Sin is anything you think, say, or do that displeases God. And here, Isaiah makes the connection that what he has said has created a distance between him and God. And then what happens? Well, what happens is, is he acknowledges that. And you notice here what does not take place. What does not take place is God does not say, yeah, that's right. He doesn't need to. Isaiah has come to that conclusion. God doesn't hold that, hold that against him. It isn't, God isn't the type of God who holds a grudge, so to speak. And so he confesses that. And then what happens is, is Isaiah acknowledges that it is his words that have created a distance between him and God. It is his words that have made him far from God. And God overcomes that distance. And he sends the angel and the angel takes the coals and he deals with um, the very thing that Isaiah says is wrong with him. And that is his mouth. And he overcomes the distance. Because, it, because when you encounter God, it is meant to make you take stock over your life and what it is that you have, you have done up to this point. And I was saying, you know, jokingly earlier, but, but, but it's partly true is that I have an encounter with the world and specifically when it comes to parenting my son and it forced me to take account and stock over my life and what it is that I did that may have contributed to my own problem. I didn't take into account his station in life. I didn't take into account his weaknesses. I didn't take into account the challenges, you know, and so on and so on and so on. And that's what is meant to take place when we encounter God. You know, if you're not a Christian, this is part of what it means to become a Christian. Part of what it means to become a Christian is, is that you encounter God on his terms, not on the terms of anybody else. If, you, if you're not a Christian and you want to, if you're working through Christianity and you start considering Christianity based on your encounters with other Christians, you're always going to find a reason not to believe. That's because every Christian, regardless of how sincere or well-intentioned they are, they're hypocrites, myself included. Because we, we can't measure up to a God who is perfect. And what you need to do is you need to take into account who is God and how that relates to you personally. Who is God and, and what are his words like? Who is God and how does he speak? Who is God and does he uphold his own promises? You have to ask the question, who is God? But that's not just for those who are, are not Christians. We as Christians have to take that into account. What is it that God has said? And how do we measure up to that? Based on how things went this week, what have you said? And how far are you from God? What have you said and how far are you from God? What we say reveals something about our nearness to God. And most likely we've said something. But at the same time, the good news is, the Apostle John makes this statement in 1 John 1 verse 9. He says, if we confess our sins, that God is the type of God, he is faithful 
which means that regardless of the time and what's going on, God is faithful and just. He's always going to do what's right. To do what? To forgive us of our sins. To pardon us. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Regardless of what it is that we have said. We can admit that to God and say, God, this is who I am. This is what I've said. This is where I'm coming from. To have a personal encounter with God means that at one level we take stock with where we are right here, right now, and what we've said. And this is the dangerous prayer sermon series. And, and this prayer, send us, builds really upon the other prayers. It builds upon the search us. It builds upon the break us. It builds upon the unite us. And for some of you, you don't actually need to pray this prayer, send us. You, you probably are at a place in your life where you need to focus on the other ones. So you have those note cards, the pink ones, your dangerous prayer. You don't have to feel the need to make send us your dangerous prayer because maybe you're at a place in your life where you need God to change you. You need God to, um, to, to do a work in your life. Maybe you have, you have past hurt. Maybe you have ongoing sin. Maybe it's a combination of both. And you're saying, hey, look, you just have to be where you are and you have to say that to God. God, this is where I am. You don't have to pray send us. Maybe it's best that you don't. For some of you, maybe you're at odds with somebody. Maybe it's you're at odds with your parents or, or you're at odds with your spouse or you're at odds with you know, maybe another person in the church or coworker or whatever. And you're estranged from somebody. You, you, it's probably best for you not to say, send us. You probably say, unite us. But, you know, God, do a work. Do some sort of reconciling work relationally because unity is the basis of sending. Like if we're not on the same t page, if we're not on the same team, if we're not coming from the same place, we're not going to do any good in anybody else's life. We're just going to be fighting with one another. Where are you at? For some of you, it actually would be best that you don't concern yourself with ongoing mission or good deeds or whatever it is that's going on in somebody else's life. You know, some people use the needs of other people to, to keep themselves so occupied that they never deal with themselves and God. You know, they, they try to stay busy tending to the needs of everybody else while neglecting and ignoring their own um, brokenness before God. And it's not helpful. And the reality is, is none of us are so important that God can't accomplish his mission without us. So we don't need to pray sin this. For some of you, you need to pray something else. What's your dangerous prayer? Second, God uses those who say they are ready. So this is what happens. And then God speaks and he asks a question. Look here with me in verse eight. Then the voice of the Lord, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? So here you have that God speaks and, and this is a significant passage for a variety of reasons. One is, as you see an Old Testament demonstration of uh, of the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is there is one God who exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each one equal in power and glory. And here you have the one Lord speaking, is the Lord who speaks, Isaiah says. And then he uses plural language. He says, who will go for us? Now this is in the Old Testament, the do doctrine of the Trinity. It's kind of like walking into a dark room with a candle. You will see, um, you will see, um, portions of the Trinity throughout, but in the New Testament, it's kind of like finding the light switch and flipping it on. 
So here God speaks and he asks two questions. And then Isaiah gives two answers. Look here in verse 8 again. And I said to him, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. I've wondered if Isaiah knew what he was getting himself into on this one. How come? Well, in the scriptures, that statement, here am I, or sometimes translated here I am, is a very rich, it's very rich in the biblical tradition. One of the times that it's stated is it's stated where God speaks to Abraham in Genesis 22. And God speaks to Abraham in Genesis 22 and he says, Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am. And it is right before God says to him, your son, Isaac, you need to take up on that mountain and sacrifice him. I don't know that Abraham knew what he was getting himself into whenever he said, here I am. But the statement indicated that he was ready. He was ready. Moses, Moses kills a man in Egypt in Exodus 2, takes off, runs for his life because he's a wanted man. Spends 40 years in Midian. He's walking around in the desert one day. There's this bush that's burning and God speaks to him. He says, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. And then before he says that, or after he says that, God says, you're going to go back into a land where you are the most wanted man in the world. And you're going to tell the most powerful man to let my people go. And he's going to say, absolutely not. All of those individuals, they expressed their readiness in some way. Here they expressed their readiness, you know, verbally, so to speak. You know, if, if somebody, if you're asked a pop quiz question in school, or whatever, who's the 27th president of the United States? You express that readiness in one of, you know, a few different ways. And whatever, you raise your hand. You say, ooh, I know, or you blurt out the answer, or you do both. Or if you're not ready, you kind of look around, you know, try to make sure the teacher doesn't call on your, you know, whatever. F try to find the answer or whatever, but you express it in some way. But the readiness is expressed in a certain way. And here, Isaiah expresses his readiness by saying to God, I am ready, here am I, send me. Before anything can be done in the name of the Lord, there has to be a degree of readiness. So when I, I want to ask you, are you ready to be used by God? Are you ready and willing to be used by God? And maybe you would say, well, uh, depends on what he's asking me to do. And the reality is, is that needs to be a conversation between you and God. I mean, there's been times in my own personal life where I knew that God wanted me to do something. Maybe it was at work or maybe it was wherever. I knew that God wanted me to do something. And guess what? I wasn't ready. And you know what I said to God? It's not as if he didn't know that. I just said, God, I'm, I know what you want me to do and I'm not ready. And there's been times, more than once and more than twice, I'm sure, where I said, God, you need to make me ready. And so for some of you, that's what you need to say to God. You be used by God and ask him, God, make me ready. Or God, please give me the willingness to be ready. The question is, is are you ready to be used by God? Because people who are ready, God uses them. 
He uses those kind of people to write his story. And then third, God uses people who entrust him with the outcome. Now, when I was a, I wasn't a pastor, but I was a, I was a Christian. And um, the pastor in the church that I was at, he needed help visiting people in the hospital. And so I, you know, I did my version of here I am, send me, right? Jesus spends a lot of time with people who are sick. So I thought, you know, I definitely want to be on his team when I can be on his team. And so I said, hey, I'm willing to do that. You need a volunteer? I'll volunteer. And so he, he sent me to do my first hospital visit. We'll call the lady's name Benita. That is not her name, but just to make it more personal and to honor um, the fact that maybe she's related to one of you. We'll just call her Benita. <laughs> and so I go to visit Benita. She's in the hospital. We'll just say that Benita was facing that wall whenever I walk in. So I walk in, Benita doesn't see me. And I say, Benita? And she said, who is it? And I said, it's Travis from church. And then she said, what are you doing here? And I was like, the pastor sent me. And she was like, well, I don't want to see you. I want to see him. Well, now what do you say? Because clearly she doesn't want me there. I was like, okay, can I pray for you? She was like, I guess, you know, <laughs> she wasn't very assuring, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, again, I'm grasping for straws. So I'm like, okay, you know, if a Christian doesn't know what to do, they say, well, let's pray. So, so I kind of do this gingerly prayer. And then we, I get done. I'm like, okay, I'm leaving. She's like, tell the pastor to come see me next time. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> So, you know, and then I go back, and I'm going to go back and talk to the pastor, tell him about, you know, the awful persecution I just experienced or whatever, you know. <laughs> and I tell him, you know, I say, oh, you know, I walk in, see Benita, and, you know, this is how it went down. And he, this is what he said. And he said, I thought that's what was going to happen. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. This isn't the outcome it was supposed to happen. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you, got, you know, the way I was envisioning it, you know, you got to have a vision for your life. So I was envisioning, I was going to walk in and Benita was going to be so thankful, you know what I mean? She's going to be so ministered by my powerful prayer, you know what I mean? The revival break out in the hospital, you know what I mean? And everybody just be glad that I showed up. I mean, that was the outcome I had envisioned. That was the problem as it was my outcome. And I didn't get it. Now, the fact that I didn't have the outcome that I expected, does that mean I wasn't sent? Does that have anything to do with the fact that I got sent to do, do something? And so Isaiah signs up for something, and this is what God tells him is going to happen with the outcome. Look here with me in verses 9 and 10. This is what God says. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So God says to Isaiah, you're, you're going to actually share messages that are going to push people away. And then Isaiah asks an a logical question in verse 11. And then he said, and then I said, how long, Lord? 
Like, how long is it going to be this way? You know, I mean, you know, if this is going to be a two-week commitment, this is going to be a two-week outcome, then I can probably deal with that. You know what I mean? Like, if you just have one kind of bad experience at a hospital, somebody's not pleased about you being there, eh, there's a lot of reasons for that to be the case. Eh, it's just one experience. What difference does that make? And so he asked that question to God. And that's actually one of the most common questions people ask God in the Bible is how long? And the reason for that is, is that it's difficult. It's difficult for us to experience the plans of God because God's patient. Like God, by this point in time, had tolerated the rebellion of Israel for hundreds of years. They were idolatrous. They were immoral. I mean, it's just unbelievable the things that they did. And God was patient with them for hundreds of years. And so he, he's asking a, a question that's consistent with the character of God. How long is this going to be this way? And God says this to him in verses 11 through 13. And he said, until the cities lie ruined without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields are ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remain in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. He's going to do this until all of God's purposes are accomplished. It's... It's going to, it's, Isaiah's messages are going to be met with rejection. So much rejection that, that it's just going to, that God will eventually use it to flatten the place. And so Isaiah's ministry, Isaiah's ministry lasts 60 years after this. Imagine 60 years where every time you speak in the name of the Lord, you only ignite anger and rejection. And he says, this is going to take place. And in fact, what's going to happen, and one of the things, if you study Isaiah, you see so much imagery, is he says, this is, you are going to essentially be like a vessel of cutting down trees. It's going to be like you cutting down a, a terebinth or an oak tree. And those two type of trees in the land of Israel, those types of trees, what happens is, is they get cut down, but they leave a stump. And that stump is left there for a period of time, but it's actually the beginning of a new tree. It's the beginning of actually something new. And he says that stump is going to be the beginning of something new to the point that the holy seed will come from it. And so in Isaiah's day, his words are met with rejection. But what he does is, is he writes down these experiences. He writes down these experiences and he puts it in a book. And Isaiah has some initial disciples and there's a good possibility that Isaiah had his version. Isaiah was a tutor of children. Like he, most likely he taught children the Bible. There's so much imagery in it that it would only make sense. And he passes his book on and it goes on and on and on. New Testament authors pick it up. They quote from Isaiah over 50 sometimes. They allude to him over 250 times. People throughout 
Christian history have picked up Isaiah's works. Handel writes the Messiah based on Isaiah's words. Michelangelo paints throughout the Sistine Chapel based on Isaiah's words. In the moment, it was met with rejection, but God used what he had, what he had done and his words. He used it to transform the world. And the fact of the matter is the same with us. Like if God sends us somewhere, like where did God send Isaiah? Did Isaiah, you know, go, did he cross the sea? Did he go to another land? Did he learn a new language and all that kind of stuff? No, the prophet Isaiah is not the prophet Jonah. It's not the same thing. Where did Isaiah go? Isaiah already had a job. He was working in the royal courts. He went back to work. Like I want to ask you, where have you been sent? If you don't know how to ask that question, answer that question, where are you supposed to be tomorrow? Like wherever you're supposed to be tomorrow, wherever you're supposed to be today, that's where you've been sent. And whatever activities that you give yourselves to, the immediate outcome isn't the final story. Like maybe you've been sent to go back home and tend to the needs of your children. The writer of Hebrews says, look, there's plenty of things that we do with our kids that in the moment just seems awful to them. And then eventually produce fruits of righteousness. There's plenty of kinds of work that we do that in the moment it is met with with resistance, it, it's hard, it's difficult, and then eventually, maybe it's beyond our lifetime. Maybe it's next week, maybe it's beyond our lifetime, maybe it's hundreds of years from now. But the fact of the matter is, is when we do things by faith, we give our acts, we give our actions, our deeds, our words into the hand of a God who, who is not bound by time. And so what is immediate rejection is not the is not the ultimate outcome. And that shouldn't surprise us, we're Christians. Same thing happened with Jesus. You see, on the night when he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and broke it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Take eat of it, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took a cup of wine. And after giving thanks, he says, this cup is the cup of the new covenant sealed by the shedding of my blood. So in Jesus' life, his ministry was met. It was met by resistance and by refusal, and it eventually cost him his life. But that wasn't the ultimate outcome. He was raised from the dead, and the fruit of his labor is you. And Paul says every time you eat from this bread and you drink from this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he returns. Like, until he returns, to, to tie up all the loose ends in your story. To tie up all the loose ends in our stories. If you are a Christian, we invite you to come forward. After I get done praying, the musicians will begin playing. There will be stations throughout the auditorium. Our tradition is to form lines, to tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in juice or wine, whichever one your conscience permits. And there will be gluten-free elements to my left and to your right, if that will serve you. If you're not a Christian, my prayer is that you've heard from the Lord. And my prayer is that you would ask yourself, what is it that's separating um, you and God? And would you acknowledge that to God? Would you give your life to Christ? And if you'll do that, we'll prepare you for communion in the future. But at this time, please respect our tradition. Don't, don't partake in the Lord's Supper, um, but please take Jesus. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android.
where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.